0: being truthful with yourself and really digging in for information. And there's all, like, there's a lot of information out there, right? And so you can be what we would call like an uh, intellectual garbage bear, which if you're familiar with the term garbage bear, a garbage bear is a bear that no longer knows how to go get its own nutritious oh. food, but goes to the dump and eats from the dump. And they usually end up having to like kill that bear. So if you think about feeding your intellect being the same way, you don't want to be the garbage bear. You want to be able to like pick out the things that are... You know good for your brain good for nutritious. your yeah exactly so
1: hello and welcome the Girl Tries Life podcast. On this show, we share with you the stories of women who are living their best life. And here's the fun fact, guys, that looks totally different for each and every person. And that is why I like to share these stories. We've got women who have done, who've run businesses, who have, you know, crazy fitness YouTube channels, who have fostered children, and it looks, their lives look so different, but they're still so fulfilling. So today on the show, we're joined by my good friend, Anita Hofer. So Anita is a communications Expert for a local nonprofit. She's lived such a fascinating life, in my opinion. Anita and I talk about how she got into communications to begin with and what that career path has looked like for her. And we also talk about the program that she went through called Leadership Calgary, which is now called the Human Venture Institute, and how that program changed the way she thinks about the world, changed what she reads, changed how she parents, and like the big takeaways that she's had from that program. It was really interesting. And then we also talk about her 40th birthday trip on the Camino de Santiago. So if anyone's heard about this, that is that pilgrimage, basically, that people do through parts of Spain. And, you know, she walked this for days and days on her own. And it was such an incredible adventure to have. And it was her first time traveling on her own in Europe. Like, I think it was absolutely a phenomenal story. We also talk about parenting. She's got three daughters, and we talk about what the most important things are that she's taught them based on her opinion, and she talked to her daughters about that, how she deals with social media for them as a parent, and the advice that she's given them along the way. We also talk a bit about this thing called garbage bears, so I highly recommend that you have a listen. It's a fantastic interview. Now, here's some fun news, is that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, so you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash girltrieslife. So, girltrieslife is all one word. So, you can get over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Now, the reason I am such a big fan of Audible is because if I look at my reading list in 2016, I read 12 books. That is one book a month. Now, that is because at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And I'm sure so many of you are as well. You, if you have kids, you get them to to school or to day home. You work, you come home, you have to figure out dinner, all those kinds of things. I would read maybe five or ten pages, and then I'd be so exhausted. That's why I read 12 books last year. Now, 2017, you guys, it's September, and I've read 53 books this year. And the way that I have read 53 books is because of Audible. It's because of audiobooks. I listen to them when I'm walking to the bus, when I'm on the bus, when I'm walking to work from the bus, when I'm doing dishes, when I'm doing housework, when I'm doing whatever. This is how I am making the most of those drips and drabs of time and still getting to do the thing that I love and reading so many more books than I would ever have had the opportunity to. 53 books, guys. I think it's amazing. So if you are feeling like you are not getting enough reading into your life or you'd like to be reading more, I highly recommend Audible. So again, you can get your free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life. Now, if you're looking for a book to start that free trial off with, Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness comes out today. So I think this is probably a couple days behind by the time that this actually goes live, but it is brand new out. If you're a fan of Brene Brown the way that I am, this book is going to be a game changer. I've listened to some interviews with her about the book, and it sounds like probably the most powerful book that she's written to date. So if you're struggling to get some reading in, listen to it instead. And it's also read by Brene Brown. I'm a big fan if you can't tell. So again, audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life. Now let's get to the interview with Anita. So thank you, Anita, for joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Well, thanks for being here and having tea with me. It's exciting. So Since I've known you, you've been in communications, but have you always done that?
0: No, I have not. So I, in high school, was really interested in art and music and English class. Those were my strengths. And I expected that I would probably be a music teacher. I was actually teaching piano lessons at a local studio, and I was really enjoying that. So I was encouraged to apply for the piano or rather the music program at UOC. I had a miserable experience in my audition. Completely failed. And so... Spent some time after that um, just sort of licking my wounds and, and rethinking what I wanted to do. So I eventually made my way back into school. And when I left school, I was not a piano teacher, although I've come back to it a few times. Uh, when I was off uh, work with my kids, uh, spending time at home, I, I did some piano teaching. I think I'll probably do it when I retire as well. It's a great little side gig, but I've done retail. I worked at a telecom company yeah, here in Canada, a national company for about eight years and did a number of things there then stayed home with the girls for about five years and then went back to work in the not-for-profit sector. And that was my first sort of real communications role. I had certainly done a lot of that stuff um, at the telecom company that I was at. And so that was a a good opening place. And I'd gone back to school to Mount Royal University and done their PR program. So it was kind of a natural progression, I guess. Um, I think it's a really great opportunity for people to sort of shape the world that they're in when you're in communications and marketing Uh, there's a lot of power there and people don't necessarily see that or understand it Uh, I love it a lot
1: and I think so many people feel like communications is fluffy I heard Mm -hmm. that a lot at jobs I used to have as it was the feel-good fluffy kind of side of things but there's a real art and skill to it and you must have experienced that in the past eight years ish that you've been yeah
0: yeah I guess you could say off and on eight when I was Uh, at home with the girls actually was able to pick up some contract work which was really important in me figuring out whether that was the right thing for me to do once I got back into the workforce so yeah probably like seven to ten years I guess I've been doing it but uh, yeah I agree it's it's a lot I think harder than people expect uh, and a lot more subtle at the same time so I think that when we see really uh, amazing ideas progressing through uh, through our cultures like a lot of that has, has to do with how it was communicated.
1: And with social media, that last 7 to 10 years would have mm. completely changed the way for sure things happen. Yeah,
0: Twitter was not a thing 10 years ago. Yeah. Facebook was barely a thing. I remember, I remember the day I found out what Facebook was, and it was certainly not, not where it is now. So yeah, the tools have changed.
1: Crazy. And so when you had that time period at home and sort of deciding what you were going to do next, how did you land on communications? Was it just your interest mm. in the English background? Like... How did you decide to start picking up contract work?
0: Well, I was lucky to be able to connect with some folks through my time at Mount Royal University, actually, to do some media relations work. I really loved that. I thought it was really, really fascinating. Uh, It was a lot of variety. So I guess it just suited my personality. I have always been a strong writer. I really enjoyed putting together um, pieces or print materials. So I've been doing some of that uh, on my own, even in a volunteer capacity. So I guess it wasn't necessarily... A super conscious decision, and just sort of tracked that direction. And so, when this opportunity came up at a local not-for-profit, a friend of mine said, "You know, I think actually you'd be a great fit for this." She was on the board at that organization at the time and said, "I'm gonna gonna make some phone calls, and maybe you should come in and, and, and talk to us about where what you want to do." And it was a part-time role too, so that was really great. So I think part-time work is amazing, and and usually women end up in those positions, and I love that because it usually means that those women are are able to like bring back, you know income to the family and that's really important. It was a, a good learning experience too to have gone from the corporate world to the not-for-profit world so that was like a big gap, a big uh, leap in my understanding about how not-for-profits function totally different than the telco that I've been working on, that had 30,000 employees and all of the communications was really pushed down from above.
1: Yeah no for sure and so when you were considering these different jobs and different Career tracks, what was the sort of decision making criteria? Was it just opportunities arose, mm. or was it you were looking for specific experience?
0: It was a bit opportunistic for sure. I knew going back in 2010, when I was really looking and thinking about where I was going to go, that I didn't necessarily want to go to a huge organization again. I knew that I wanted something small, and I knew that I wanted to do something more meaningful. Uh, when you're in a big company like that, it's just really easy to feel like a cog and you don't have very much influence. And that was really important to me. So moving to not-for-profits was really just a perfect fit that way. Uh, the organization I ended up working for was also a children's literacy organization. And I had young kids, love books. I'm a great reader. My kids love to read. So that made me really eager to join. So it was definitely opportunistic. And at the same time, I had done enough sort of self-reflection and thinking about the things that I had loved to do in the last decades and the things that I hated doing in the last
1: decade to screen out a lot of other opportunities that were coming up. Yeah, it's interesting. I, To be fair, I haven't finished the book, but I was reading Mom mm-hmm. Shift by Reva Seth, and she was talking specifically about how that period after women have kids is like that real opportunity for them to rethink their careers and try something different or a different sector or whatnot because they it kind of refocuses them on I have to like if I'm going to leave my kids then you know I have to enjoy what I'm doing with my time at work yeah in a way that maybe men don't have that same shift in focus if Hmm. they're not taking the paternity leave I don't know yeah that totally makes sense to me I haven't heard it articulated like that
0: but I think that's a a really fair representation of the moms that I know including me yeah uh, that have stayed home and then gone back to work yeah you definitely reprioritize things it's a big mm-hmm. deal to be away from your kids.
1: Right? And it's expensive to put them in day home and hugely
0: home. <laughs> expensive. And yeah, you wanna be in a workplace where you feel valued, uh, that you're paid fairly, that you know, probably has some flexibility. I know I've really been lucky that way, that I've had workers or workplaces that support my flexibility. So if my kid is sick one day I can work from home. Yeah. It's not that big a deal. So
1: So you and I were both present and we've um, been familiar with the work of Ernest Barbaric and he talks Mm. a lot about meaningful work. So what for you, what does meaningful work look like for you? Uh,
0: Meaningful work for me, I guess, would be something that aligns with something much bigger than myself. And yet, I guess having had telco experience in a company that's, you know, 30,000 people, that's certainly bigger than me. Um, But it's It's basically, it's working for the man, right? Like in in the end, what you're doing is uh, increasing profits for shareholders, of which I I still am to this day, a shareholder of that company. But in the end, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of social good, right? So for me, I guess meaningful work is somehow tied to to social good. And being in a smaller organization has helped me actually connect with the people who are served through my organization's work, the organization that I'm at now, which is also a not-for-profit I find that really meaningful to be able to like talk to the people who are the recipients of the programming or the services that we provide that helps me stay on track and stay focused about what we're doing all the time. Cause I think organizations that are trying to always perpetuate the cycles that they're in. And a lot of not-for-profits can, can play that game aren't necessarily being helpful, but yet not every not-for-profit has the ability or the benefit to phase themselves out of business.
1: So, um, there's lot. There's, there's lots of complexities there. I think you're yeah. right, though. That there has to be that connection that feels that you're making an impact beyond yourself, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not the like you were saying. Maybe it's not bigger than you in terms of number or reach, but mm-hmm. bigger in terms of impact.
0: Yeah. I guess I I've always been connected to strange i guess to people suffering i guess you put it that way but into social justice sorts of things i mean i was in grade 6 and i was like sending money to greenpeace and, and just you know bringing up things at school that i'm sure my teachers were horrified about like let's talk about abortion rights blah, blah, blah you know and yeah. just like every teacher's nightmare um <laughs> but uh, but those were the things that that mattered to me and they continued to matter to me so i wanted to be able to work on stuff that i felt was going to level the playing field for people that that maybe there's people out there that didn't have their own voice. And i have really quite privileged, right? I'm a privileged person in this society. And can I use that privilege that I have and and try to make things better for other people Was just a way to do something good in the world?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say you're definitely doing that through your current role. Oh, thanks. So that's exciting. <laughs> if you could only achieve one thing professionally in the next five years, what would you want that to be? Hmm. I think there's a number of...
0: There's a number of small small bits, I guess, of organizational goals. I think what would be meaningful and helpful professionally, but also for the sector, is to broaden the conversation about the ways that not-for-profits are not working and the funding cycles that organizations are trapped in and the requirements to funders and donors and philanthropists that are not healthy and are verified you know, sometimes incorrectly, that would, I'm not sure what that would take. And it's certainly not something that I would say is on my, one of my work goals right now. But I think that would be something that a lot of people are talking about and a lot of people see. And when we keep plugging away at our jobs and we keep going back to the funders that we have because no one really wants to have a really hard conversation with the funder and lose their funding, especially in the economic times we're in here in Calgary right now. But I think that those conversations need to start happening because boy, things are, are not swell. There are some really great funders that do really get it, and then there are lots that don't. So, so how do you sort of elevate that conversation mm-hmm. and try to help, and maybe it's the population writ large, that not-for-profit organizations probably shouldn't, we shouldn't even call them that. They're social good organizations. They're working in the human sector. We need to fund them differently. They need to be organized differently. It's It's just a really maybe it's a big gigantic goal and it's you know maybe not even attainable
1: no i you're no you're definitely on to something there mm-hmm. and there's i mean if most people in the sector know that Dan Pollotta TED talk and Sure. this but yeah. and i was talking to i did an interview with KGB and we were talking about this a little bit that her thought was that change needs to happen at a policy level in order for it to trickle down mm-hmm. but then the, the funder thing is a little bit different no, I hear you on that one. Yeah. It's a challenge. It is. And it's, and it almost seemed in the same way that there's trends of fashion and mm-hmm. decor and all that kind of, there's the same trends with funders and their expectations and totally. it's this measurement this year and it's that measurement sure. next year or it's this kind of reporting back and it's not allowing not for profits to actually do or social good organizations mm-hmm. to do the work that they need to do. For sure. Or it limits them.
0: This is the thing that's yeah. exciting now. Like We're going to fund things that are innovative. And the, yeah. the funder doesn't even know what innovative is. Social like enterprise. absolutely.
1: Everyone should be a social right? enterprise.
0: Right? <laughs> Not everyone's made to be a social enterprise. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And there are not-for-profits that are doing amazing work that is super boring, but is super stable and needs to get done. And there's that's, that's out there too. Yeah. And so there's just this whole realm of work that's happening. There's a really awesome book by Paul Hawken called Blessed Unrest and it's about the role of not-for-profits and he likens the not-for-profits to the immune system in the human body. So a really interesting concept, right? You think about all of these little not-for-profits doing all of this work that if that all that work suddenly stopped we
1: would suddenly notice. We would not function as a society Absolutely. without these org- and it yeah. goes, yeah, you're right it goes completely unnoticed until functioning is not happening
0: yeah like I've worked on the sector now for seven years and that every day almost I learn of a new organization I didn't know about before yeah it's just shocking and, and you know there's lots of overlap and that's good and
1: bad too so that was another thing KGB and I were saying is it would be nice to see in cert- in situations where it makes sense for like organizations to sort of join forces because mm-hmm. it's just repeating multiple organizations looking for the same funding dollars yep. and So you, I know that you've done what was called the Leadership Calgary program, which Mm -hmm. I think is now called the Human Venture Institute. Mm -hmm. So for listeners that have no idea what that is, Mm -hmm. can you just give us a brief, like, what do they do? Sure. What is that program? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, When I took it, it was called Leadership Calgary and uh, people used to joke, it's actually not about leadership. It's not about Calgary. So it was rebranded a couple years ago, I think maybe 2015 to Human Venture Leadership and that's under the umbrella of the Institute. It is uh, a program that draws on this new discipline called uh, human ecology or human learning ecology and it's it's very powerful and it's drawing on the best of humanity and the worst of humanity and sort of hashing out and teasing out the threads of what a healthy or like adaptive line of social and human development would be and unhealthy as well and, and maps that out uh, in a in a really amazing, compelling way um, so that we can stop doing the same dumb things over and over again. Because you see, in the line of history, we continue to have genocides. We continue to have war. Like We continue to make the same mistakes over and over again.
1: Yeah. And what encouraged you to do the course?
0: Uh, I probably wouldn't have normally done it because I think of the name. Um, I didn't see myself as a leader in particular. I knew that i Wanted to see some things change in the world, and I was going ahead doing some sort of things here in the community and in the school on my own and just going for it. An alumni friend of mine thought that I would probably like it, and my youngest was going to kindergarten, so I had some available time. And I looked at the website, and I was like, "Yes, this this is absolutely for me." If it's not about leadership and it's not about Calgary, then then it probably is for me because I wanted to think about some bigger things. Uh, and it was it was the challenge that I needed, especially at that time. It was. It was a really, how do I say? It seemed as immersive. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It, in a way, it's quite intense because there's a fair bit of reading and you're with your group quite a bit. And the presentations can be like heavy material at times. So there's that element of it. Like it's just can be hard. And it, you're right, when I did it in particular, it was quite immersive because it was a 10-month program and I know they're making some changes to that now and trying some different
1: formats, so it's a it's a bit different. And it seemed to me almost, it's almost not having done a master's program, but I was yeah. like, it's like a mini master's yeah. program yeah. of all the research and study and the mm-hmm. thinking of things in different ways and yeah, yeah a more human-focused.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, I, I think the program has been compared to a master's level program. I think that the, changes I've experienced for myself and that I've heard other people talk about are what you Say are life-changing. It was a, a totally life-changing experience for me. I, I think about things Much differently my bookshelf's totally different the people that I interact with are different The you know that I was looking last night at my list of people that I text with regularly and that's a lot of the folks that were in the program you're saying as me or some of the other folks that were maybe before and after It's really made me care in a different way and I care more deeply about different things and I think I think um, more broadly just about the topics at hand that are going on. There's there's a bit of a scare I think. Um, Initially when I was in my year you're suddenly more aware of what's going on in the world and that can be hard. When you're suddenly sort of awake to some of the stuff that's going on and you probably knew about it or you could have known about it, but you've chosen not to. So that's a a bit of a disillusionment, but I guess disillusionment means you're no longer under an illusion. So that's technically something
1: that you want. Having gone through it and that period of disillusionment, are you still optimistic about human Mm -hmm. nature and society? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I think you cannot look at the whole of humanity's history and not feel optimistic. Absolutely. And in fact, there's a really awesome documentary that we watched the first weekend of the program. I think it's called Journey of Man. I think Spencer Wells is the geneticist in the movie. It's a National Geographic movie. I highly recommend watching it. We can link Just to it in the show notes. Hours. Yeah, yeah, perfect. He basically tracks humanity from the last 60,000 years and tracks us all back to one single man in Africa. And there's this amazing graphic in that movie where they plot sort of the the very, you know, over 60,000 years, the track that humanity has taken through the different continents and when you imagine all that people had to do to make that happen and all the the suffering and all the joy and the the struggles and the disease and the famine and the hunting and gathering and the children and the intergenerational efforts it like you can't help but think that like humanity actually has a lot going for it right and it's totally worth fighting for and so I do absolutely feel hopeful and there have been times where since I took the program where I have definitely not felt hopeful and some of the books I've I've read um, you know are not necessarily optimistic but overall when you look at the whole course of humanity I think you have to Yeah, You have to be optimistic. There's
1: there's an environment, like there were different sort of threads that you could sort of dive deeper into Mm -hmm. in the program, right? And environment was Mm -hmm. one of them. See, that's one that makes me, I really, I would like to be optimistic and I just hope mankind can get it together. Yeah, (laughs) right? Because we're... It's a 32 degree day yesterday, guys. Right, it (laughs) was really warm (laughs) last night. Those days make me really
0: nervous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like humanity is up against some big, big challenges. And when you're really being truthful with yourself and really digging in for information. And there's all like, there's a lot of information out there, right? And so you can be what we would call like an uh, intellectual garbage bear, which if you're familiar with the term garbage bear, garbage bear is a bear that no longer knows how to go get its own nutritious oh. food, but goes to the dump and eats from the dump. And they usually end up having to like kill that bear. So if you think about feeding your intellect being the same way, you don't want to be the garbage bear. You want to be able to like pick out the things that are, you know good for your brain good for nutritious. your brain. yeah exactly so there's a lot to weed through and it's distracting and i find it super distracting like to follow what's going on on twitter or find out what's going on with Brangelina or <laughs> not going on with them or whatever but yeah everyday life can really pull us away from the things that matter and at the same time yeah climate change is, is a thing and donald trump is that's actually happening right now and genocide
1: continues and there's, there's plenty of
0: things happening that we need to really figure out.
1: Yeah. But people, you're right. People, it's the tough topics that you're just like, it's easier yeah. for me to go to the garbage than mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it feels, feels pretty good at the time. Pretty relaxing because yeah. we're not, we're not really good either at stepping into the challenges of understanding things yeah. because you know, you've been at work all day and you come home and you want to put your feet up. I, I get that. I do that too.
1: yeah Yeah. interesting so have you had any aha moments or big takeaways from the program Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I think uh, lots for sure one was sort of a good news bad news scenario the good news is that humans can learn and the bad news is that humans learn so (laughs) right so that learning is this like double-sided thing and we can there's like an adaptive path and a maladaptive path like like addictions is a form of learning and Man, what would that take to not have addictions in our society? If people knew how to make a meaningful life or knew even what meaningful things were, maybe they wouldn't become mired down in addictions. I think to uh, the awareness that I spoke to earlier about um, we are acting on programming that has been sort of downloaded into you long before you were even here that we're all part of and there's this like, cultural Sort of parenting that's happening with us all—a culture shaping us in ways that are very powerful and sometimes really subtle that we don't know about—and so, uh, sort of understanding that better was was a big deal.
1: Has it changed your parenting?
0: Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So I well, and although being that it's been seven years, I guess since I took the program, it's sort of hard to remember. What, before I guess they were a lot like. younger at yeah. the time but has it they were a lot has younger. it
1: encouraged you to do things to like mm-hmm. do certain things with them that maybe you might not have done before
0: I think we intentionally spend more time in the outdoors like we definitely were outdoors a, a lot and maybe we still would have done the amount of just hiking and, and being in the park that we did before I'm not sure but I think that I know now know that it's really, really important to connect with nature. There's lots of kids that don't get that opportunity. And so how can they ever protect the earth if they don't really appreciate it? Is sort of what, where I'm coming from with that, I guess. To basically love something or have really deep compassion up for it, you need to really understand it. So if you don't, if you're not loving that dog over there, if you really get to know that dog and you really know about that dog's, like what they like to play with and what its favorite food is and, how happy they are when you come home then you will you'll learn to love that dog because you really know it so i think that's the same with nature or whatever and so i've definitely exposed the kids to things that they probably wouldn't have otherwise we went to the women's march this year which was a really cool opportunity for them to feel like they had some power back after trump i think it was the day before that was trump's inauguration i think it was the day of was, was or it? was it
1: the day after like it was was really close
0: right so i mean all through that american election we were watching that and again like i guess i pay i pay attention to different things so they pick up on that right like inevitably so you you change so then they change by way of example so if i'm paying attention to what's going on in america in a deeper way than i did before and they're getting just sort of freaked out about this guy in america he sounds like he's doesn't respect women. I can't believe the things he says. And there's no way he's going to win. And then when he won, they were just like almost sick about it. Uh, and of course they're young. So they they exaggerate that. Um, so it requires lots of patience sometimes to be around them in those situations. So the day of his inauguration, uh, particularly with my 17 year old, she had a blowout with a boy that she knows that was a Trump supporter, I guess you'd say. And she wasn't. And they couldn't agree on some very major issues and so they are no longer friends and so that was really upsetting for her really tough life lesson and I said we're gonna go to this march and I think you'll feel better after and you'll see that there are other people that care about this as much as you do and you know you don't have to feel like you're alone and that was really powerful and I probably wouldn't have done that before that was a hard day for a lot of people even at (sighs) work
1: I mean even as an adult in the workplace it was tough if people were on different opposing points of view totally I'm going to switch gears uh, a little bit out of order to since we're talking about parenting. Yeah. You have three fabulous daughters. <laughs> so they are 11, 13, yes. and 17. Yeah. Yeah. So looking back, what are the most important things that you've taught them or made sure they were exposed to or uh, life lessons kind of thing?
0: Yeah. Well, it's so funny you asked that because I actually, maybe this was a little bit different, but I asked them earlier this week. I was like, hey, when you guys were older, imagine you're. Th- 30-ish, and maybe you've got kids, maybe you don't, no pressure, but uh, but what would you do with your kids that we've been doing, or you know, what what maybe you don't do, like give me some feedback here, and surprisingly my 11-year-old said, oh I've actually thought about that, and I was like, what, no, and she said, I remember we stopped and talked to that homeless guy who's sitting outside the superstore, and she said that she was glad we did that because it showed her that she's not better than anybody else and that he's the same as her and so I was like oh that's so good <laughs> and what had happened that day is we like did blast past him when I went to the superstore and then I went to the superstore and I was like oh man like that kid out there he looks like he's 22 and it's a hot day and he's got like a backpack and his sign just says something about like just please help like anything and so I went out And I said to her, like, I think we should just go talk to him and see what he needs. And let's just sit down and talk with him and find out. And she's like, okay. And so we did. So I literally sat down on the curb with him and she she listened and introduced herself. And he had, you know, like everyone does a story and we asked him what he needed and he needed some money and some food and we went and got that and brought it out to him. So it helped her see the humanity in somebody else. And it's really easy to walk by people and I do it too. Uh, I had an interesting experience last year in Vancouver as part of a program that I was taking out in Vancouver where I actually sat down on the sidewalk in downtown Vancouver and like later wept about it and I was completely ignored. Like no one even makes eye contact with you. They in fact make uh, like avoid eye contact with you. Um, so I had vowed to try to change that and so having this interaction with this young man named Matt was really helpful. So I was glad that she thought it was a cool thing too. She also said chores, which I can't believe, but, but my kids have had responsibilities, probably more than than they would have liked at the time. But it was neat to hear her say that she was happy that she knows how to make her own lunch and do her own laundry and take care of the cat and, and do things like that and oh, cook neat. some food. So that was neat. And my thirteen-year-old was pleased that she's had opportunities and support and resources to do things that are creative. So we've encouraged them to do art. The house is plastered in artwork. Um, we have like ukuleles and guitars, and there's a piano in this house, and so they can they can do that if they like. And especially, I think, even at junior high level, kids are being starting to be pressured to certain professions or certain academic options, whether that's like you have to go to university or you have to do this. And she is seeing that happen with her peers already, and so she appreciates that that pressure hasn't been applied. And we do try to not apply that pressure, and sometimes it bubbles up, but that was nice to hear and then our oldest who's 17 was grateful that she feels independent and competent one of the things that um, that she remembered was we have a really large tree in the backyard and I certainly don't know how to climb it and the girl's figured out how to climb it at one point and they taught The younger ones how to climb it later and so they were like remember like we got up like halfway up the tree and we showed you how to do that and mom you didn't tell right they they had the competence to figure that out on their own
1: were you slightly freaking out on the ground oh yeah like I (laughs) try not to watch
0: right and we do have a rule about like no more than two in the tree at once and your friends can't go in the tree because like if you fall out of the tree right if you fall out of the tree and break your break your leg then that's on me but like if your friends like that's So don't do that. And also, if you can see the tops of the streetlights, you're probably too high. And they have gone up high in there before, and I have gone out there because it's, yeah, I can't handle it. But I try not to watch too much. But they spend a fair bit of time in that tree, and it's, it's important for them to be in the tree. Like You can see the world differently from the tree, and you interact with the tree, and you know that the tree is a living thing when you're in it all the time, and you see... All of the life that's around you in the tree. So it's pretty
1: awesome. That's something that makes me really nervous about parenting is that <laughs> things that you loved as a kid or that you logically know that you want your kids to do and try, that fear inside. And <laughs> and it's not even just like physical climb a tree, but like going into a new environment and what if all the kids are mean to them or whatever, yeah. like that's gotta be oh, you've gotta have some rough days. <sighs> Terrifying. That's where the wine comes in. Handy, You're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy needs a glass. That happens too.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think the common theme with the, with the kids and all their answers was that they've had, re- they've had responsibilities and that they, um, they didn't have a bunch of over-structuring of their time so that they were able to get out in the tree. They were able to do artwork. You know, they could play with a cat in a sunbeam if that's what they wanted to do. They're pretty proud that they're
1: competent. So that's cool. And you've just recently gone on a big family trip to Iceland and France. What was that like traveling with three different ages? They are awesome. Different focus? Yeah. Yeah,
0: Good ages to go actually because they were interested in doing things and didn't say no to anything, I don't think. (laughs) And as you do when you travel, you have problems that arise at the last minute that you just have to deal with. And they just rolled with the punches and they were really good travel companions. I was super, super impressed. That's great. Yeah, was a good experience. Maybe you've inspired
1: the travel bug in them.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Our, our oldest was in France for 11 weeks a couple of years ago. I think she turned 15 there actually. And so she was really keen to go there. And, and that was a really, uh, really nice parenting moment when your kid comes home from school and is super excited because they heard about this exchange program and they can go to france for 11 weeks and go to school in france and go live with this other family when you know your kid is really shy and introverted and she really wanted to go and so like how could you say no to that so we did this program and it was really really powerful thing for her
1: when well, you had to host a student here then didn't yes you? So that's a neat experience for your for the whole yeah. family not just for, for her. really yeah.
0: good yeah and so now we have this french child of ours living in France. We visited them in the spring. They were here last summer actually. So now we've met their family. They've they've been here. So we've had this like international sort of family. So that's a really... It's a neat connection. It's yeah. really cool. <laughs> Is there anything you do differently? Mm. Sometimes I feel like I just don't spend enough time with them. But then on other times I'm like, yeah, that's the right thing to
1: do. It's not. That's how they have that time to experiment yeah. and create.
0: Yeah, for sure. So like I definitely feel the tension of... Like oh they should be on swimming lessons and then no but wait like unstructured time is important and and not to say don't put your kids in swimming lessons because swimming lessons are obviously super important bad um, <laughs> bad example yeah yeah <laughs> exactly do do swimming lessons cello lessons right at eight years old yeah. yeah and and I can I'm sometimes just not subtle enough I think so and and maybe not patient enough but one of the the things and they laugh about it they think it's hilarious but I'll be like you're not a special snowflake so like you are not the only like uh, um, you're not the most amazing bestest 13 year old in the whole world so because man they they hear some of that kind of stuff and even on social media which they're on like they're on instagram they they pick up on those sort of messages and brands from other people so
1: so we hadn't planned to talk about this but um i'm fascinated social media Mm. with children how do you deal with it do you Patrol is probably not the right word, but monitor. <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> like, how, and how do you teach them that what they're seeing is someone's best version yeah. of themselves? And oh my it's gosh. A, even as an adult that knows yeah. better, it can be really hard on so your self-esteem. Hard. So hard. And your girls are in really, uh, really impressionable ages. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is
0: very hard. I actually think that's the hardest thing about parenting right now. And I would think that other moms I've talked to that have kids in the same age group say the same thing. So it's, it's super addictive. It is affirming probably the wrong things. People are, you're, you're totally right, right? They're selective in what they share. And then we do this thing where we tap on it and a little heart comes up and that makes people feel good. So it's, it's, it's completely fake. And at the same time, my kids were sometimes being excluded because they didn't have an iPhone and couldn't be in on private conversations that were happening, right? So kids were getting together to go to a movie that night or do something at someone's house. And because they didn't have the tool or the technology, they missed out on that because kids don't pick up the phone anymore. So it was this just, you had to sort of open the door. And at the same time, they also had to be given the opportunity to get on social media and make mistakes. But when you're a young person, that's when you are supposed to be doing that, right? So the, the challenges is that those Mistakes in judgment can cost a lot more. Like when I was in school, if I wrote a note and the teacher intercepted it and read it out loud to the class, that probably wasn't the big deal it is now, where if you do something on social media and someone screenshots it and sends it all around the school and then to the other school that you've now transferred to or to the different town, I mean, that stuff follows you around forever. It's not like... Do you have certain rules around it for them? We do, but we are not great at enforcing them or we're off and on about enforcing them, but... We at one time had no technology Sundays. That was for us as well. No TV and no computer and no, no, uh, no phones. That's been harder as the kids are getting bigger and they're out of the house more and they're going to work. Or my 17-year-old goes to work. Uh, no selfies. One post a day, which actually they don't even post probably once a week. So they're cool with that. And they're not allowed to open an account unless we know about it they are not supposed to take photos of anyone and post it without that person's permission. Yeah. There's quite a number it's of, a good, yeah. number of rules actually that we've sort of came up with early on, but then that we've had to tax them on later too. Yeah. 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 And they're not on Facebook, not interested in that. So it's interesting. With well, yeah, tools, think, too. yeah, Facebook's old person. Totally, totally. Right. Like grandma's on Facebook. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And Instagram is really image heavy. So that's interesting too. Right. So they've learned, they've learned how to take beautiful photos. <laughs> right so the, I guess that's a skill and and aesthetics matter a lot on that platform mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's absolutely a challenge I don't have any answers for you there
1: yeah <laughs> so you have a 17 year old mm-hmm. she's about to head off to whatever she plans to do yeah. in a year or so or is it yeah she'll be 18 next
0: year yeah yeah she'll graduate
1: so what do you hope for your kids mm-hmm. like I mean we talked about not that pressure to not encourage them into certain career lines or tracks. But so if you take the career aside, what do you hope for, mm-hmm, for your daughters?
0: Yeah. I don't really care what they do. I care how they do it. So I would hope that if they open up a dog salon, that they do it really well and they are feeling fulfilled and that's creative. And maybe there's some social good involved in that too. Or if they're writing books, they're books that matter. Yeah, I just I think it's about more about the how we go about things, and I you know I hope that they have uh, strong relationships, that they have good supports. Uh, I think, and I've, I'm starting to see this happening now, and it's fabulous that they are paying attention to bigger things. I think that's because in the in this house that that is just naturally happening. Like I mentioned with their sort of distress about Donald Trump being elected. They are picking up on what's going on in the world and they want you know subscriptions to magazines that are about empowering women and so that's really cool and so I think if I can set them off into the world and have them caring about things that are bigger than themselves and that sets us all up for success because I think that um, even though you might not know your neighbors that you should you know try to care for them and the neighbors around the world matter too so our 17 year old this year picked up a piece of nonfiction and I'm pretty sure I posted this on Instagram but she was reading a book and she was using a highlighter. and I just had this little tear because I was like, wow, she used to read like Harry Potter, well and sometimes still does. And so I was reading for pleasure and joy and that's awesome, right? Escape and, and imagination, like the world of books is amazing. But to pick up a book because you wanted to learn from it and then to use a highlighter, like I just a total shift in why she was reading and I thought that was really amazing. And she recently bought herself a membership to a national political party which I was like, what that?" That didn't come from our like encouragement, baby. right? <laughs> was, she was just like, I want to join. Am I too young to join? Because I'm not, you know, she can't vote yet. But I, and so I said, well, well, you better look it up and find out. And sure enough, she could. And so sure enough, she did. So that was a big deal. So nice. I felt like that's that means she's tracking in the right direction. So there's a, there a good quote from Jared Diamond's book, Collapse. It's actually, it's not, not even really a quote. So that's a good sized pa- passage in that book about in World War II how parents were very similar time to ours at well pre-World War II I guess very concerned with their children's well-being as they should be and piano lessons and clothing and education and did we invest enough for the kids for post-secondary and did we write our wills and certainly those things are important but they weren't paying attention to the larger patterns and World War II happened and all those families almost were ripped apart and people went to concentration camps and people died. And, and if as parents, we're not paying attention to those larger pieces as well, like we're really, a lot of harm can be done. So it's worth thinking about how to frame your parenting, I think, within a larger
1: subset. Yeah. That's great. I have no doubts they're taking great life lessons out into the world. So that's, that's so. got to feel good as a parent. <laughs> I guess you always question it as a parent, but you from, always from an outsider looking in, I think you're doing good. Job.
0: Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I always remember a friend of mine said a long time ago, I think our kids were a little together, that you never really know the ways that you're screwing up your kids until they're 30, right? So it takes forever for your kid to get into their own therapy or counseling sessions, and I'm sure
1: they will talk about their mom. And yeah, you just try your best. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs a little therapy. It's, it does good. So, if I'm getting this correct, on your 40th birthday, mm-hmm. you trekked the Camino de Santiago. Yeah. Or part of it. So, yeah. for those that don't know what the Camino de Santiago mm-hmm. is, could you tell us? Yeah. So, the
0: Camino is a pilgrimage journey that's, uh, I think, thousands of years old. And it ends in Santiago, Spain. And people track there. There's, I think, seven official different pathways to get there. And the most popular is one that just starts over the Spanish-France border, and you trek good 500k almost 600k to Santiago and it. when you get to the end you present this almost like a little passport that you've gathered stamps in so every night when you get to your place of rest uh, called an albergue it's sort of like a hostel for pilgrims you get the stamp that shows that you walked I, I think it's a minimum of 10k that day it earns you a stamp and of course that's all up to you if you're being honorable and 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 saying the truth and I think everyone is but you get your stamp when you get to Santiago you go to this office where they take your passport book and they and, and actually your real passport as well and they give you this this document that and it's all in Spanish and Latin, so I don't understand it. But I'm told it says that basically all of your sins are are cleared now. So in ancient times, people would do this pilgrimage after they'd been really bad. And there's a joke about they have
1: like 500 kilometers, right? About how bad they.
0: That's right. Yeah. and they would actually go past Santiago to Finisterre, which means the end of the earth, and that's like another day or two walk, and burn their clothes as sort of like the sign that they were renewed. And that they no longer were wearing these garments of a pilgrim. So, yeah, it has this this uh, uh, very spiritual element for a lot of folks, especially Catholics. I, I walked alongside people that were stopping in in uh, Catholic churches all along the way. And and with their rosary beads and things, it was, it was quite, a, quite a magical experience. How much of it did you walk? Uh, just over 200 kilometers. So I started in a town called Pomfrata. Yeah, I walked for about, I think, 10 days. So like 20 kilometers a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were some very long days, but you learn to get up early because it's cooler. I was there in June and of course people walk deep into the fall and in the spring as well. But you, yeah, you walk really long days and you can, you can cover a lot of ground before two o'clock if you start walking at six or six 30 in the morning when it's cool. Yeah. And you just, you stop here and there for 15 minutes or an hour, but lots of people would walk till four o'clock as well. So you can, you know, you can really go, go far. I met a couple of Danish men that were walking over 30 kilometers a day. Like they were getting up early and they were ending up in their designated spot late, but they were, they only had a certain amount of time. So that's pretty amazing how how people pace it out. But yeah, 20 K days were exhausting.
1: So I've done not anywhere near that kind of length of walk, but Mm -hmm. I did Hadrian's Wall uh, Mm. in between Scotland and and England and met some fascinating people all along the way, but I did that with someone. So what was your decision? Um, what was behind your decision to do it on your own? Well, I think a couple of things I was
0: turning 40. And so I was looking for something that was challenging, uh, not necessarily to celebrate my birthday, but to sort of commemorate the, that time in my life as well. I wanted alone time, which in hindsight is ridiculous because if you've been on the computer or even like looked at a book about it or seen a movie about it, like there are people everywhere and you're in these hostile units with like 30 other snoring people at night. So there's definitely lots of people, but I wasn't responsible for them. And so that was, that was part of the goal. And I wanted to sort of get to my edges and just see, see what I could do, see how, how strong I could, could be. And being alone allowed part of that to happen because I knew if I was with someone, I would rely on them, uh, either for language or for security or for comfort or for meaningless chit-chat. And so there's something about being by myself that helped me just sort of feel comfortable with just my own thoughts ticking away in my head every step you take or, you know, the brain keeps going. One of the big fears I had, like, interestingly enough, it wasn't about, you know, missing my flight. It wasn't about my security, about being a woman by myself. It was about walking into a crowded room, like that I might walk into a restaurant and there would be a huge group of people that had been maybe walking together for a couple of days and they'd be all laughing and talking whatever language, German or Spanish or Italian. And that I would be like this lone person. Because I hate that. I That's the one thing I drives me crazy. I'm just not good at walking into a room like that and feeling comfortable. And of course, like, it happened right on day one. So I got to experience that over and over and over again. So I feel a lot desensitized uh. to it. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was about something being hard. And I could have done a yoga retreat or I could have done a weekend away. And I sure thought about that. And by about day five on the Camino, I sure wished I would have picked that. Um, but in the end it was, it was a good thing to do and it was good to, uh, good to do something hard. I'd also never been overseas. Like every really? really? Yeah. So I had a passport and I'd been to Disneyland. So that was it. So I hadn't been to England, hadn't been to Hawaii. Well, I just still never been to with your Iceland, France adventure. No. Wow. No. So I hadn't, hadn't been overseas. So that was the other thing. I, I think when I was younger, I had said like, I'm going to get to Europe before I'm you know, 30 or 40 or whatever. And I hadn't hit those marks. I was like, damn, I'm, I need to go. Cause I, you know, made that promise to myself that I was going to get there. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was part of it too. That's awesome.
1: Did it change you in any way or did you sort of that, again, that aha moment or yeah,
0: no, I, I don't think it did. Um, uh, and I think that's okay. I didn't yeah. go expecting to have like a an epiphany or a life-changing experience, or have a bunch of revelations. I certainly like that. some recycled revelations sort of come up as they do. I I got just some good advice as I was sitting on the tarmac of the Calgary International Airport in the plane and, and texting a friend, and I was like, "What? What's your advice?" And the response was, "Just be." And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's actually just what I need to do. I just need to go there." I'd had like a you know busy couple of years with transitioning back to work and like a Quite demanding role raising three girls my, my dad had died several years before I, I just needed to go and be and that was the right advice and it's advice I follow still and so maybe that that was my greatest lesson there was just yeah. it's okay to just be uh it was it, there's a lovely metaphor about the Camino well I think there's probably lots of metaphors but I I definitely appreciated that I would get up every morning and there would be this rush of people out of the albergue heading out onto the path so like this sort of mass of humanity you're walking this pathway that hundreds and thousands maybe even millions of people have walked for a very long time all in the same direction it's just that like repetition of people walking this path and walking this path and walking this path and you're always walking westward into your shadow super cool and i'm the type of person who plans my trips out day by day by day normally and this, was, I, you couldn't do that. You had to just sort of trust that the path would take you to the right place. You follow these yellow arrows, right, left, straight ahead. And I had to just trust that those were taking me on the right path. And eventually I wound up in the right place and it was fine. I didn't have to plan it all out. I didn't have to Google map it. I didn't have to, to write notes to myself. I just you know, sort of trusted the yellow arrows and got there. And so there's something really neat about this experience of everything that you do today whether it's what you eat, what you're choosing to drink the night before, Uh, wine is cheap in Spain, Um, (laughs) where you're choosing to sleep, what you wear and how you take care of your feet on the Camino is important. All those choices that you make really make a difference to your success or your failure the next day. And then you just do it again and again and again and again. And so it's a, and I only walk 10 days and lots of people walk the full way from France and that's a, a 30 day journey if you're walking every day. Some people start further back in Germany and walk for months. And some people walk to Santiago and then walk back from where they came. So people are walking a really long way and get this opportunity to experience this sort of repeated process of you have a giant goal. And you maybe can't even really see it. And you don't really know what it's about. But that's where you're headed. And everything you're doing every day is all about getting you there. So that was a a cool metaphor, I thought.
1: Yeah, because... Technically, most of us are doing that every day, but we don't have that. We don't have the Camino as mm. such to realize that what we do impacts the next day. And so, on. and so For sure. we just, we're not just being, we're often like mm-hmm. you say, that cog in a wheel kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And, and, and sometimes there's just not that intentionality of, of being like, okay, in, in 20 years, like the, this is what I want to, where I want to get to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up with the five questions that we ask all of our interviewees. Cool. So what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up mm-hmm. uh, in my work? I've been really lucky to do
0: lots of really cool community projects. Uh, at the last organization I was at, I being a social media manager came across something that was really getting lots of attention in the States. And so I, read some articles about this little movement that was happening and started sharing them on social media and it was little free libraries and pretty soon there was a little free library in calgary and then we were able to sort of capture that energy and elevate it and escalate the little free library thing and now there's little free libraries all over the place so that was cool to sort of be part of that at my current role we've done something that's activated local businesses and provided some free accessibility ramps that we built with volunteers so you bring people together and they build these things and they go go out in community and do some good and they draw awareness to the issue. So there's sort of this this overlap of people taking action and doing something that they it's fun for them, but there's actually something meaningful and and good for the community writ large in it as well. So I guess it's that overlap. And then last year I dreamed up a cool art collaboration pro- project that you've seen some of the artwork for uh between a recipient of one of our programs who's in a wheelchair he has ms and a local really talented artist that worked together and did these wheelchair paintings which we then sold as a fundraiser so like he was really jazzed about it and she was really excited to work with him and people loved these paintings and it did something good so i just like all those elements coming together
1: those are my oh favorite. that's so neat mm-hmm. what's the most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years
0: Well, I have a stack of books here. Yeah, I'm I'm
1: buying all the books I know.
0: Nonfiction, uh, I think, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me by Carol Tavris. And I know anybody that knows me knows I love this book. And even my kids were like, when I say mistakes were made, they go, but not by me. So (laughs) uh, that is amazing. I think that should be required reading at least once in your life. Um, And then I love Sophie Scholl and the White Rose, which is a biography of Sophie and Hans Scholl who lived during World War II. Uh, Awesome primer also on parenting. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Book of Negroes I love. This was probably my favorite piece of fiction ever. I feel like you suffer with her character and she is remarkably resilient and strong and it's also historical. So that's awesome. And I love Lost Cat, by Caroline Paul. I will actually give you this one when you go because it's super cool and you can read it in about an hour and it's so funny and oh, sad and heartwarming at the same time and if you have a cat and you love cats, you will love it. I do love my cat. <laughs> right? Um, Chris Hedges is an amazing author and when I read Empire of Illusion several years ago, that was just shocking about our cultures and so there's definitely, remember we talked about disillusionment, but Um, yeah there's lots of illusions around us and you can't you can't really be blind to them after reading that book and I'm reading The Hidden Life of Trees right now which is really amazing and now I appreciate trees in a whole new way and I'm only halfway through so and you can share that with your kids on your hikes right what you've
1: learned about yeah
0: and I've been reading parts of it aloud to them and they're like okay enough (laughs) about the trees but it is like really awesome and it's yeah, it's helping me think about uh,
1: trees being being more like my friends. Oh, this is great. Well, I'll definitely link to all of them in the show notes. But sure. for the listeners that are not lucky enough to be in your house the way I am, your house is just filled with books and artwork <laughs> and family mementos of love. Like you just—it's a home,
0: oh, and that is so, so
1: lovely to feel. Because I, you go into a lot of people's homes right now, and it's the show home feel and whatnot. <laughs> I, this, yeah, it's definitely not a show home here. <laughs> And I don't mean it like that, but this is no, what I good. love. Yeah. This is, yeah, no, oh. this is fantastic. <laughs> so what is your favorite quote and why is it your favorite quote? I, yeah, that's hard. I love Carl
0: Sagan. I, he, there's a three or four minute video that you can pull up on YouTube that has his pale blue dot quote, and I won't read it because it's really, it's three minutes long. Um, and it's animated. We watch can that. link to it. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Watch that. That's great. But um, a quote that I actually had um, at work uh, above my desk for a really long time, that one I love, Martin Luther King, and I'll read it. Uh, We are called upon to play the good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will be only an initial act. One day the whole Jericho road must be transformed so that men and women will not be beaten and robbed as they make their journey through life. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. So it's funny because I went to go grab that quote yesterday, and I noticed in the in the social media world that only the last sentence of that three sentence quote is actually being used and being forwarded and shared around on social media, the part that starts at true compassion, and that the first part's important too, but I think it speaks to we need to understand root causes and to know how like systems and things are linking together and know how those things function so that we can actually be more compassionate and prevent people suffering instead of being so reactive and, and dealing yeah. with it later and, you know, giving somebody 15 bucks outside the superstore is really great, but man, people, why yeah. are we ending up with people there in the first place? Like yeah. let's let's figure
1: some stuff out. And that's a lot harder work. Yep. It's the challenging stuff that we don't always want to look at. Yeah. What is the best life lesson or advice that you've been given? I don't think I, I
0: was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I have nothing. I was like, I, I don't know. I'm i st- I'm still learning. So maybe yeah. that's my, my biggest life lessons. Keep learning and keep yeah. becoming, right? Like you're you're not a human being, you're a human becoming. So yeah. just keep going and keep plugging away and digging and learning and, and looking for uh, significant things in life and try not to get too distracted by by the everyday.
1: So finally, Anita, mm-hmm. what does it mean to you to live your best life?
0: Um, I, I think Honoring those those ancestors from sixty thousand years ago, like I mentioned about the documentary journey of man, uh, those those ancestors of ours that travel a really long way. Uh, man, I sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. And I really want to whine and complain about something in my car or the house isn't clean enough or I don't have the shoes I want. But like we have to figure it out because humanity does have lots of big challenges, and I want to honor that and. I have kids and that's like a handshake with the future. You can't not think about the future when you have kids and their kids and their kids. And in just a couple generations, I'm going to be forgotten and they'll be forgotten too. And we'll be long gone. So like, what are we really here for? And think about your life in a, in a broader way like that is I think just helpful for me in figuring out what I need to attend to.
1: Well, that's great. Very powerful. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. I've really enjoyed my interview with Anita. She has such a thoughtful outlook on life and definitely has made me really interested in trying out the Human Venture Institute program. It's just you know, finding the right time in life to do that. But I am so, I had such I also had such a great time doing the interview in her home, you guys. I think I mentioned it in the podcast, but we were surrounded by this beautiful artwork that her kids had done and it was it was a home in the way that I hope my home will be at some point. I currently live in an IKEA filled home because that is my stage in life, but their home is filled with love and joy and memories. And you can tell that both by just being there and by the person that she is. I think her story is so fascinating. And I definitely would want to teach my kids some of the things that she's teaching hers and the lessons that they've taken away from it. And I, you know, love that they value nature that way. And it's probably why I got in a couple hikes this year with my kid because because of this interview with Anita. So again, just before we finish off, uh, the books that she recommended you can find everything on the show notes at www.girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 3636. Now there you'll find the entire list of books that Anita was talking about and a great picture of them. And I wanted to let you know that Four of these books that she has are all on Audible. So there's The Hidden Life of Trees, The Book of Negroes, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, and Don't Think of an Elephant. Those four books are on Audible. So if you're wanting to get started with that list and you're struggling to find the time to read, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash girltrieslife and you can download a free book and get a free 30-day trial. Highly recommend it. Get on your way to that 53 books read in a year because I'm super pumped about that. Next time on the podcast, we are joined by my good friend Irma Jansen. Now, Irma is an ergonomics expert. Now, we'll break down immediately what ergonomics means because so many people are like, ergo what? And Irma's going to tell us how to keep our bodies functioning at their highest capacity. We're going to be talking about resiliency, entrepreneurship, how she built up her business, And we talk about her experience working abroad. It's a great interview. I think you will love Irma. She's a hoot to spend time with. So if you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode, go to iTunes and subscribe. And if you have been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Makes all the difference in the world to me because then I know what you guys are actually really resonating with, what content you love and what you want to see more of. So on that, if you've got some feedback and if there is something specific, someone you want me to interview, go to facebook.com forward slash girl tries life. So that's kind of my little hub on on social media so you can let me know give me suggestions who do you want to hear from now I do have some phenomenal guests lined up so I just want to give you a little heads up on who those other people will be so Irma's going to be on the 28th of September followed by that we're going to have my friend Nicole who talks we're going to be talking about diversity the gender spectrum and her job as a teacher with children that have real behavioral challenges and how how she came to have this passion for teaching On the 26th of October, we are interviewing the Washington Post journalist and author of Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play, When Nobody Has the Time, Bridget Schulte. Now, her and I talk about how we can actually stop feeling so stressed and overwhelmed in our lives, and it is such a phenomenal interview. I'm really looking forward to it. After that, we're interviewing a gal that owns a tiny house, and we're talking about that experience. And there's so many more great interviews ahead, guys. So if you've got a woman in mind that you think would be an incredible addition to the Girl Tries Life series, please let me know. Just send me a message. Okay, well, until next time, have a fantastic day, and take care of yourselves, and get some reading in. Bye, guys. (laughs)